Welcome to Fintech in the Cloud with AWS, your direct line to the founders, investors, and startups who are shaping the ever-evolving world of fintech. I'm your host, Sakai Indamanga. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with not one, but two co-founders, Laura Speakman, president and co-founder at Alloy, as well as Charles Hearn, who is a CTO and co-founder at Alloy. Alloy is an identity decisioning platform that helps banks and fintech companies automate their decisions for onboarding, transaction monitoring, and underwriting. On this episode, we discuss a variety of topics from product evolution to trends, as well as the recent emergence of regtech in fintech. We also recently published a blog post about Alloy's global identity decisioning platform and how it was built on AWS. You can check it out in our show notes. Enjoy! Hi, Laura. Hi, Charles. Welcome. Hello. Hi, thanks for having us. Thanks for joining. So we like to start off with understanding your background and your journey in fintech. So are you able to tell us a bit about your background and how you eventually got to Alloy? I'll start with Laura. I got into fintech in, I think, 2011, working as a first employee at a very early stage startup in the mobile money space in Kenya. And that's where I got really interested in financial infrastructure, I guess. I don't think I knew that's what it was at the time. And at that company, we were taking mobile payments and making them usable for merchants and B2B use cases. I, in a roundabout way, came back, worked at an investment firm, but I was really lucky to focus on financial services there and investing primarily in funds sometimes in companies, but I would find myself basically just jealous of the entrepreneurs I was meeting and the really early stage folks who were actually doing the real work operating on the ground. And I decided to leave that company and decided I really wanted to go back into really early stage payments focused companies. And I was fortunate to stumble across a video of Tommy, our current CEO and our co-founder, pitching an ACH infrastructure company at the time. This was back in 2014. And I just emailed him and said, hey, like this looks really compelling. Can I join you guys? And so I think I joined as number four or five on the team. Charles joined shortly after that. And we sort of spent some time looking at a variety of risk and onboarding problems in fintech in 2014 and 2015, and ultimately came to the conclusion in 2015 that there was something really compelling in the identity space. And I think we've seen that evolution really come to fruition where we had the first chapter of fintech and fintech infrastructure be around distribution. But the recent challenges in 2015, certainly this was starting to become true, were just around identity. And so that's what led us to starting Alley. Very cool. So what was the mobile money company in Kenya? That's my background too. I worked for a mobile money company in South Africa. This was a company called Copo Copo. It's still around. And Charles, what about yourself? Yeah, similar second half of the story, different first half. But Tommy and I actually went to the same high school. So we were like semi-related in that circle. But then we also went to the same college, University of Virginia. And he was starting a college startup there that was oriented around finding happy hour specials in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I was studying computer science and built some of that app. And it was really fun and loved the experience of like building something from the ground up with a tight group of people. 
despite that, after college, went to work at giant institution of Microsoft and had the same experience as Laura, like sitting in my office in Seattle, somehow stumbled upon Tommy's launch conference pitch video and reached out to him and said, hey, you want to do this again? I want to build something from the ground up. Left Microsoft, moved across the country to work on that with Tommy and Laura. Alloy helps banks and fintech companies across the world reduce friction between them and their customers by seeing beyond that address and the social security number. That's what you see when you typically look up Alloy in terms of your mantra or your mission. But in layman's terms, what exactly does that mean? And I'll let either of you answer that question. It means that Alloy provides a holistic view of a customer so that fintech companies, banks, or many financial institutions can evaluate their potential risk from all angles. One of our goals for the clients who are using Alloy is that they'll be able to onboard more customers, more good customers, and that those customers will have a better user experience and will have better, faster access to more great financial products. So really part of our mission is to increase financial inclusion. I'd add that just from a very simple standpoint, if you think about the way that identity worked over the last few decades in financial services, it was based almost entirely on being face-to-face in a bank branch or saying, look, the address on your driver's license is like your entire identity. What probably is my real digital identity, which is like an amalgamation of my fingerprints, my driver's license, my passport, my credit reports, the things that I do online, the ways that I log into various applications, all of that put together in some form or fashion is much more of my actual identity. And who would you say your current customers are today that you are able to share? It really ranges from like five person startups launching their first product, just getting to market all the way to top 20 banks. So Ally Bank, Brex, Carta, Daylight, Evolve Bank and Trust, Marketa, Stash, Ramp. So we have a pretty big variety there. Yeah, those are really very popular fintechs too. And so just for me to understand, and just because obviously you kind of gave us a nice definition of what Alloy does in terms of identity and finding more digital ways to actually identify the end consumer or the user. Walk me through the user experience from end to end from one of these customers. Going back to like why we started this in the first place, when we were working on ACH processing, we asked others that were in the business at the time, how you do identity fraud and compliance measures. And people always said, you have to get a bunch of relationships with data vendors and you have to set thresholds based on what comes back from those data vendors. And you have to write a bunch of code and manage this all yourself. And we thought that that problem could really be solved as a orchestration problem rather than a data problem. Everybody was trying to add more data to the identity universe rather than sitting on top of that and doing sort of an orchestration layer. And so that's what Alloy is. We integrate with over 170 data sources to allow our clients to tweak different risk tolerances to determine who to approve and deny. And clients can set mutually dependent parameters on who to flag without touching any code. We don't think that banks should have to talk to engineers to determine their risk tolerances or respond to a fraud attack or something like that. 
I'm very familiar with your proposition. And I know you've been quite proactive in terms of creating different product evolutions, some of it in conjunction with us from a cloud perspective. I'm curious to understand how you identify products or new product constructs as you continue to evolve your product evolution. Obviously, you have different functionalities based on some of your customer needs. I'm curious to know how that kind of comes into play. We started with just onboarding because that seemed like the most straightforward problem that was the most broken. And we focused on that for years and years. We actually just had our eighth birthday party yesterday. So we've been in business a little over eight years now. But the first five years of that was all focusing on onboarding. It was a really difficult problem to solve, but we believe that we solve it the best in the world. And because we were solving it the best in the world, our customers said, Alloy solves this problem for me so well, it would be awesome if you could solve other risk-based decisioning problems for us. So fraud doesn't stop at onboarding. I would love it if you could do transaction monitoring. Like That's when people are really trying to defraud me or alert me of potential account takeovers or suspicious devices that are logging in or giving people lines of credit like credit underwriting and approving people for credit products. And so we really let the customers drive us in our product direction. And we started building credit underwriting and transaction monitoring. And so now we can really see the whole life cycle of our customers rather than just stopping at onboarding. And we'll continue to build products that facilitate safe and seamless user experiences for our customers. So essentially, you're saying that you obviously had your core value proposition, which is around ID, verification, and risk. But then based on some of the needs that your customers had, you were able to evolve your suite of products based on some of the things that they wanted. So you evolved into underwriting and transaction monitoring. And this is all simply because you're listening to the customer and working your way backwards. Is that a safe assessment of how you've evolved and you will continue to evolve from a product perspective? Yeah, I think in building enterprise software, you always have to determine like which part of listening to your client is essential because an enterprise company, you know, especially big banks will tell you to make all sorts of things. But I think we listen to them and distill what they really want and what they really need and try to solve the root of the problem rather than just attacking things in the traditional financial software way. And that's how we made a differentiated product. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So eight years later, you've been 40 countries, I believe. So you had a significant amount of global expansion. That's a lot for eight years, 40 countries. I think you're in North America, EMEA, and Latin America, and obviously APAC. So how do you identify how to expand into some of these markets? And then two, who's your largest or fastest growing market at the moment outside of the US or North America? We did two things. We did the looking around and just seeing where is fintech flourishing in the world? And that's sort of the answer to your second question, which is lots of places is the good news, but the UK is obviously a major hub for fintech and seeing some incredible companies and use cases come out of there, including banks, not just fintech, but even banks are doing really interesting things there. And so we chose that as our second outpost. And we've just launched a, a team there, which is really exciting for us. And then what we also did was just listen to our clients. And our clients are increasingly cross-border and global themselves. And so that can be them launching in new markets the way that Alloy is, right? Like we're now 
launching in Australia or the UK, but it also can be that their clients are increasingly around the world. And so they need to be able to verify the identities of people in India, for example, even though they themselves are not launching an office there. And so there were these use cases coming up and we felt like we really had to stay true to the alloy value proposition of don't go build all this yourself. Install us once and we're going to support you in your growth, no matter where that is or what that looks like. And so for us, that meant we had to go into a number of countries and markets and support those use cases from the second that they stepped foot there. I believe Alloy recently published a state of fraud benchmark report, and some of the stats were astonishing. I think it was about 91% of respondents had fraud increased year over year since 2021. And then another stat had mentioned that 70% of respondents have lost over 500,000 to fraud in the last 12 months. And then 20% of respondents lost over a million in fraud just last year. I read the report and I was curious to get your view. What do you think is driving or what are the key drivers of some of these stats that are quite high? The kind of easy answer is COVID. But really what that meant was, one, there was sort of this influx of cash from a lot of the programs. You can think of the PPP program, for example, where there was just a lot of money. And now we read the headlines and subsequent legal actions around a lot of the fraud that got perpetrated. But I think more importantly, COVID had this silver lining effect of speeding up digital transformation. It fueled fintech companies, but it also sped up transformation of banks who were suddenly forced with closing their branches and going, okay, like that digital transformation project I had on the roadmap for 2025, we got to do it now. And that was great in many ways, but it meant that unless you built the right set of defenses as you launched digitally or as you grew digitally, you were opening yourself up to more fraud. And so it became a lot easier in certain ways for fraudsters to perpetrate some of the types of fraud we're seeing today because the defenses weren't fully built up with the speed with which these programs had to actually launch. And so we're able to help, of course, with those. And and we've just seen that the pace at which the industry evolved and continues to evolve, it's not sort of a one-time thing, means you have to build something that is meant to be flexible. There's not a put in the solution and now you can walk away and you're all good. It's like you have to build something completely flexible and dynamic. The numbers are staggering. I mean, you shared some of them, but we used to see that fraud was just a cost of doing business. What mattered was just like how you grew. And that was just a cost of growth, really. And now I think both in a different environment, but also those numbers have gotten bigger. The folks are finally having to pay attention and grapple with them. And it's sort of part of the unit economics equations that people are doing. And we talk about it a lot like a positive feedback loop where like these fraudsters are getting funded by the fraud that they're perpetrating. And if they're better funded than we are, like they are doing extremely sophisticated things. It's no longer simple fraud mechanics. Like people are creating identities from scratch and waiting years before they use those identities or stealing identities and waiting years. They're investing in fraud in the way that banks have traditionally invested in anti-fraud measures. And, and it's this cat and mouse game. It's a great point. I think if there was one illustration of that, that synthetic fraud, which does take months or years to build up a synthetic fraud profile, right? Because you're creating a new person and you have to do that over a long period of time by building good credit history and by sort of looking like a real person in the world. And then you bust out six months, two years, three. I think the average was something like three or four years. So it takes 
quite a long time, but you can only do that if you are, to Charles' point, well-funded, which they now are. That's fascinating to me. So fintech verticalization is becoming more and more relevant. We keep talking about fintech and a broader concept for the last couple of years now. But as we're progressing with fintech and different variations of fintech are kind of emerging into the space, we're seeing different sectors flourish a little bit more. One sector that's been interesting is regtech. I believe they're projecting it to grow at a CAGR of 18.7%. This became especially relevant after the recent AML and compliance scandals in both fintech and the banking industries, not to mention the massive hacks in DeFi and crypto. And some of the projections about RegTech continue to grow, and they say it will grow in the next couple of years as well. I'm curious to get your view on how you define alloy. Would you say alloy is from a verticalization perspective at the intersection of RegTech and FinTech? Or what vertical would you identify alloy to fall under? I always kind of resisted being put in the RegTech bucket for that reason, which is that there's reg tech and there's fintech. And I think we are at the intersection or maybe we're in both because we solve for compliance and regulatory use cases. We also solve for broad use cases. But I think the more relevant thing is that reg tech, I think is going to be a little bit more dismantled as a category in part, because what we're finding is reg tech is actually much more of a business issue and in certain ways more of a fraud issue than realize if you are doing identity checks for one reason, for compliance check the box reasons, you're going to use that data for other purposes. And you should use that data for other purposes, right? You should be able to tie that to fraud data, transaction data, et cetera. And so I think that we're going to less squarely categorize companies like Alloy into just one or the other. And of course, there will always exist probably some you know software that is just really, really only for reg tech. But largely, I think that category was overused and you're seeing more buyers who are interested in solutions for a number of pain points and use cases. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about cloud. What role did AWS play in your development and at what point was cloud identified in your journey? We started Alloy in 2015. And back then, I think we got some pushback on building in the cloud because banks didn't understand it. And we're used to using financial infrastructure that was built on-prem. But that really wasn't an option for us as a startup. I think we were not going to acquire our own data center, build our own racks. We were trying to write the software, not manage all the infrastructure ourselves as a three-person, four-person team. So we started building on AWS. And I think... It was just the right time to do that because we got pushback early on 2015, 2016 from customers and regulators and auditors. And a lot of that went away over time as AWS built better security products that helped make the cloud more secure than building on-prem and had higher degrees of durability that made building on the cloud more high resilience than building on-prem. We can get higher uptime from our products than an on-prem solution. But also we were in Techstars at the time. Techstars accelerated our journey in 2015 when we got in the Barclays Techstars program in New York. That's what brought us both here to New York and Techstars had a partnership with AWS to fund some of the credits that we used 
to finance the early building of Alloy. So in some ways, AWS was one of our early investors because we certainly used a lot of those credits to, to help us finance the company. You said 2015, you essentially were on-prem and you transitioned in 2016, or was it kind of a hybrid where you were doing both in the beginning until your customers were actually able to understand the value proposition? We started fully in the cloud, but I think our customers just had to become comfortable with that over time. And I think if we had started Alloy a couple of years earlier, starting companies is all about starting them at the right time. And I don't think we could have built in the cloud earlier. If you had a crystal ball, when you had to like think about the future of identity and kind of your ecosystem or your vertical, what would you say you see will be influencing in the next five to 10 years in this potentially identity space or trend that you think will actually flourish? I'm really excited about seeing companies, our clients and prospects who are trying to verify more non-residents for U.S. financial products. We as a whole world are getting increasingly globalized. People are moving around. I think we saw that happen, especially during COVID. We can't be as prescriptive as we've always been in the U.S. in particular about just verifying U.S. identities. We have people from all over the world who are coming here. So we partner with companies like Nova Credit, for example. We use third-party credit bureau data to help recent immigrants in the U.S. get approved for loans. So it's just incredible value prop of like a, a person who otherwise might not get access to any financial services or very limited financial services have, and take years to build up a credit profile in the United States, even though they may be completely credit worthy and have a long credit history back at home to actually get access to those services. I'd say the other thing I'm excited about is, I shouldn't say excited, but I think where there's a lot of potential is B2B payments, where it's just still, you know, think about the ways that our own business pays and gets paid. And it still feels like we're stuck in 2002 or something. And so I think identity will play a big role there because you have to verify multiple identities, counterparties. So there, there's just a lot to do in the world of B2B payments and it's a huge market. So we're in the midst of an interesting time right now, right? So in terms of economic uncertainty, what's next for Alloy given the current climate and what's getting you both excited about the future of Alloy outside of what you're working on today? We're basically excited by increased competition. We just think like the more use cases that exist in the world, the more companies, the more founders that exist in the world, we think is a net positive. That's what we believe has pushed innovation forward. If you see, sometimes you'll see these big banks, monolithic banks make huge changes in their fee structure, for example. And we know that that's driven by some of these neobanks, for example, having some incredible kind of consumer value prop around reduced fees or, or whatever that it has pushed the industry forward. So I think we're seeing that that's going to continue. Of course, it's a tough time right now, but we think that these banks are still going to feel that pressure. And we know that from internal conversations. We work with both banks and fintech companies. And we think that this allows us a unique opportunity to help both banks and fintech companies provide that incredible experience and that kind of competitive experience by making a great user experience, right? By taking risk off the table, by taking risk from this thing, you have to invest, depending on your size, tens of millions of dollars. And you now can allocate that differently, particularly when you have reduced headcount, you're kind of fighting for engineering developer time. We are going to help you create that best in class experience without that huge headache. 
Laura, Charles, we've reached the end of our conversation. Thank you so much for joining. And where can people find you? We're online at alloy.com and at UseAlloy on Twitter. And then I'm Laura Speakerman on Twitter. And I'm Charles Hearn on Twitter. Thank you both. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, please feel free to leave a review and rating. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please visit aws.amazon.com slash startups.